Good morning, everyone. We will be starting promptly at 1030. Oh, so good morning, everyone. My name is Karen Strub, and I'm the Vice President of Communications for Infrastructure Resources. I'd like to welcome you to the Excavation Safety Alliance Town Hall, which is hosted by IR. And our topic today is PHMSA and NTSB recommendations for tolerant zones. Does one size fit all? Our ESA town halls are an open forum to discuss concerns and present potential solutions to improve damage prevention and excavation safety. A recording of this town hall will be posted on the Excavation Safety Alliance website along with a brief blog post. We will also post the chat log, so if you do not want your comment or name included, please note that with your post. If you have a question during the town hall, please type it into the chat box or click the raise hand icon. Give us a few seconds and we will give you permission to unmute yourself. To unmute, simply click on the microphone icon in the top right corner of your screen. Today's meeting is meant to be a discussion and you're all encouraged to ask questions and share solutions. Please try to keep your comments brief to allow others time to interact. We will wrap up around 1130 Central, but may continue the conversation with coffee and questions after a brief survey. Now I will let Ed introduce himself and our panelists. Hi, Karen, and uh, I want to say thank you to everyone who's joined this afternoon. Um, looks like we have, uh, you know, 80 plus on the meeting, so uh, great attendance. Um, I appreciate the interest and, you know, um, I want to be able to uh, set the stage a bit and then, um, uh, you know, have that discussion so we can understand, uh, uh, have a greater understanding of tolerance zones and what they mean to different stakeholder groups. So uh, with that, um, I would like to uh, allow our panelists to introduce themselves. Uh, I'll start off with uh, uh, my good friend, uh, Devin. Yeah, good morning. Uh, my name is Devin Carlock. I'm the Vice President of Safety and Government Relations for Cottrell Contracting. I'm also the President of the Council for Dredging and Marine Construction Safety. Thank you, Devin. Um, how about you, Sam? Thanks, Ed, and a pleasure to be with you all uh, this morning, and thank you for the opportunity to speak here. My name is Sam Minifee, and I'm a policy advisor at the American Petroleum Institute. I work in our midstream department, and I'm the staff lead for our damage prevention work group and our public engagement and awareness group. Thank you, Sam. Paco. Hey, good morning, folks. Uh, Paco Alvarez, damage prevention coordinator for Chevron Pipeline and Power, uh, also in charge of the uh, public awareness uh, program for Chevron. Um, former line locator from Los Angeles, now uh, uh, out here in uh, Houston, Texas, um, supporting the uh, uh, the business here for uh, Chevron Pipeline. Thank you very much. Okay, yeah, thank you. So uh, again, um, I'm gonna uh, just talk a few minutes uh, to set the stage here. Um, and, and as we know, tolerant zones uh, in all types of excavation, no matter whether it's on land or in marine environments, um, have uh, re really have a place in safety to understand what tolerant zones mean, um, understand uh, uh, the requirements and why tolerant zones exist. And specifically, you know, when we, we get down into um, uh, the marine environments, you know, utilities across lakes, bays, waterways, you know, uh, uh, the Gulf or oceans in the Pacific or Atlantic, you know, tolerant zones in many different areas, uh, again, even on land can mean different things to different folks. Um, there are different types of uh, um, I guess laws in different states, nuances from one state to the next that may define tolerant zones differently. And I wanted to take a moment. Um, many of us on the call are familiar with the CGA best practices. And, and although tolerant zone is mentioned in there uh, multiple times um, in 5.19, there's one around excavation tolerant zones. And I'd like to read that uh, to folks. And so um, the practice statement is the excavator observes a tolerant zone that is comprised of the width of the facility plus 18 inches on 
on either side of the outside edge of the underground facility on a horizontal plane. This practice is not intended to preempt any existing state uh, provincial or provincial requirements um, that, that are currently specify a tolerance zone of more than 18 inches. So again, that's not a law per se, although in CGA's eyes, but there are, are laws in many states that reference that 18 inch uh, uh, tolerance zone requirement. So there also are some differences around marking facilities. So for whoever the owner operator is a facility to be able to uh, the requirement to mark accurately and mark within 18 inches of that facility. So as we, we, we try in um, to look uh, at consistency and goes to the heart of this meeting of quote unquote, does one size fit all? You know, the questions that, that are driven due to some recent accidents are, you know, does this apply to those utilities, whatever it is, um, that cross waterways, right? And so I think that, um, uh, with some recent accidents, uh, there has been uh, uh, a drive to actually look at different types of activities and specify tolerance zone for those activities, specifically around dredging. And, and, and again, under setting the stage a little bit here um, after the Corpus Christi uh, uh, fatality incident where six uh, people lost their lives, um, uh, the NTSB uh, in their recommendations uh, recommended looking at tolerance zones and what that means. And so that's that's forced us as an industry um, uh, in the utilities uh, and, and pipeline specifically to go back and look at those tolerance zones and see if quote unquote one size fits all. And I'll, I'll close by saying, uh, before we get into some questions for the panelists and, and get their perspectives, um, uh, one of the things from the NTSB recommendation uh, was around targeting uh, uh, a dredge tolerance zone. And so uh, PHMSA has sent out a questionnaire to uh, all of their uh, states, I think it's 50 states plus uh, maybe it's uh, Puerto Rico, uh, et cetera. I think there's a total of 52 you know, um, areas that they oversee. Uh, but those two questions are as follows. Um, this was sent again to the regulatory and one call authorities in each state, right, uh, that FEMSA um, regulates. And FEMSA, for, the, for those mariners on the phone, um, is the Pipeline Hazardous Material Safety Administration, and they are uh, basically the pipeline regulator at a federal level. And then when you drop down into the individual states, uh, uh, the individual states have their own regulatory authority. And this starts to divide a bit um, if I can digress here for a second, this starts to divide a little bit uh, different nuances and state laws from one state to the next and how those look. Um, I will, you know, for folks on the phone, uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, to my knowledge, we have no state one call law. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, no federal one call law, you know, so we don't have any type of all encompassing federal regulation around one call, uh, around line marking, around tolerant zones and many other areas. Hence, does one size fit all, right? So excavators, when they travel from one state to another, whether you're on land or a marine excavator, there are different nuances with 811 laws and, um, uh, uh, and, and excavation requirements that they need to follow. Um, and so because we don't have a federal quote one call law or excavation laws, um, that leaves out federally uh, uh, areas under federal jurisdictions like waterways. So if you're in the Gulf of Mexico, Pacific or Atlantic, once you get outside of that state's territorial boundaries, there is no law that says that you have to 
uh, 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 either have a damage prevention program that you have to have, uh, that you have to call 811 or, or make a notification. So just, just note that. Um, so uh, again, so going back to the, um, the questions that PHMSA sent to each state, and I'll quote, and then we'll open it up, is um, first question sent to each state was, is dredging included in the state's definition of excavation? Uh, yes, no. Uh, if, if yes, um, specifically call out the definition and explain how dredging is included in the statute. That's question one. Question two is, has the state established a tolerance zone for dredging? If so, what is it? Um, indicate either yes, no, and provide details. So this has driven uh, questions, you know, that have come back to us of, okay, so what, what do we need to do about tolerance zones? Because Obviously, this question is being asked of us, and uh, as far as I know, uh, there is no state that has a tolerant zone uh, for, you know, dredging, uh, much less any other types of marine construction. So I think that we'll hear from our panelists that that you know. Um, uh, some of the laws that exist now and best practices may not be one size fits all, but really the key is if we agree that it doesn't you know is there the ability to change or be able to work on that type of tolerance zone uh, that might be more inclusive and what would that look like okay so hopefully i did some uh setting the stage there and uh, uh so i would like to uh ask a few questions and um and you know, get some perspective from our panelists. Uh, uh, really, I'm going to open this up to all three. Uh, but Devin, um, since you're an industry contractor, especially, you know, I know that you probably do both on land and marine type work um, in your different uh, areas. I know, I know you do uh, dredging specifically, but you know, in those spoil areas where you may take the material may traverse to on land type activity. But um, so, what does tolerant zones? in your perspective and in your industry, what does that mean to you? Well, thank you, thank you, Ed. And um, tolerance zones for our industry, uh, right now, like you said, there's no specific tolerance zones in subaquatic, uh, you know, dredging. While, while you're dredging, uh, they are uh, basically self-implied uh, or, uh, we, we have to monitor and feel where we feel comfortable uh, to coming near a pipeline, you know, skipping over the pipeline and then moving ahead. Um, there's a lot of risk in that. And I think you're going to touch on on this uh, later on uh, as far as that risk factor. But, you know, on land, we have very specific uh, areas, like you said, the whether 18 or job specific uh, for uh, marking of those pipelines or utilities. Uh, as the moment that it goes into uh, the waterway, you know, all bets are off because we have, there's many different elements when you speak about currents and what that pipeline is doing. If you don't have an accurate survey or knowing exactly where that pipe, because our uh, experience has shown us that these pipelines move over time. They they do shift uh, with currents on occasion. And so we need to have it, the exact data on where this uh, uh, is located so we can establish a safe tolerance zone. But it would be from a case to case basis. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, so Paco, uh, for, um, you know, with your experience and being a line locator, you know, can you explain to folks, you know, your opinion on the difference between tolerant zone for marking and tolerant zone for excavating? Right. So, you know, I guess let's start for locating, right? And, and um, you know, it, it all starts with the training, you know, from your line locators, right? Um, you know, what are they looking for? 
uh, as far as um, you know their magnetic field and, and and whatnot you know and it differs from you know onshore to offshore just like you're saying right and, and Devin covered all the tolerance and tolerance zones really well there um, but you know that you know for us you know it's you know they say okay an 18 inch tolerance zone when you're marking for us we want to be dead on our line right as close as possible so any forms uh, any way of uh verifying where a pipeline's at whether it be using a probe uh using you know some pvc uh, out in the in the water crossings there um anything that could get us right where our pipeline's at that's what we're gonna do um now you know very important right it's uh you know there isn't anything that's standard out there right now so just like demo was saying is you know what type of dredging is going to be going on right what what, what size of vessel is going to be crossing our pipelines um you know it, it brings in that importance of the communication and, and collaborating with the uh, dredger excavator uh you know and that pre-communication and planning for the job so you know just like you were saying that um you know we're, we're we're looking at these new best practices and all that so i think really that pre-planning uh and um you know leading up to the jobs is is going to be really important right especially with that tolerance zone um you know standardizing that and and making sure that everybody's on the same same page with that is going to be really important yep yep thank you paco um so sam is is uh if there was a, an initiative out there to either enhance tolerance zones or that communication or you know education you know i know that there was a lot of great work done with the uh, recommended practices around public awareness and damage prevention put out by api that's almost adopted universally um is there some opportunities there that that you might see and and maybe even even go back and and maybe explain the process on how things get to be a recommended practice if there's a drive to go that way? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question, Ed. And uh, you mentioned and and uh, Paco mentioned as well this patchwork of state regulations and and I can only imagine how difficult it is for the mariners uh, working in one ship channel and you cross um, you know state line in the water and now you're working in a different state with a different set of regulations um, and so i think the need for a consistent and standard approach uh, to tolerance zones or at least one that um, it, that parses out the difference between on land and marine environments is really needed and one method of achieving that kind of consistent approach uh, to tolerance zone is through a recommended practice or a standard published by api um, API was formed in 1919 and then um, adopted this standard setting, standards development uh, part of its organization in 1924. So we have a long history of developing standards, recommended practices for the industry. Currently, there are over 800 uh, standards across the oil and gas industry, and they're developed through the API um, American National Standards Institute ANSI accredited process, which provides both that third party rigor um, as well as uh, um, technical accreditation for these standards and best practices. They're developed through a consensus-based process that includes uh, federal and state regulators, expert members of the public, um, uh, academic experts and, and nonprofit experts, uh, pipeline operators, and, and with a standard like this, certainly um, dredgers and, and marine construction operators as well. Um, yeah. When we develop a recommended practice like like one uh, perhaps on tolerance zones, it's uh, you get all the, the folks together in a room and you develop it through that consensus based process. So it's not necessarily everyone gets what they want, but you're working through negotiations between the different stakeholders to make sure you, you publish a document that really improves safety down the line. Ed, you mentioned 1162. Um, that's our, our recommended practice on pipeline public awareness. And I think that's one that uh, certainly improves and helps move the ball down the field to improve safety uh, for pipeline operators. Another one I'll mention is RP1173, that's on pipeline safety management systems. But those are just a few examples as if we did wanna move down the, the road of a recommended practice, API is a, a great vehicle to do so. And we, throughout this process, working with Devin and Ed have 
uh, have offered the services of API to do a recommended practice. The one caveat I, I would say, as someone mentioned, it does take some time. Uh, it can be a, a several years long process. So uh, while we certainly um, have offered these services, we want to make sure that if something is, is needed a little bit more time sensitive, we, we can move that, uh, that rock as well. So um, I hope that provides a little bit of background on the, the RP process, as well as the potential for a tolerant zone document, uh, either now or in the future to help improve safety. Yeah, uh, very good. Thank you, Sam. And and going back to um, uh, the uh, the FEMSA questions, again, these were the first time, uh, you know, per NTSB recommendations, that these questions have ever been asked of the states, you know, around is, is dredging included in your definition of excavation and do you have a tolerance zone around there? So um, I would have liked to seen a little bit more encompassing approach, you know, specifically after talking with uh, uh, other types of uh, marine stakeholders and pipeline companies uh, alike to where it's a little bit more, again, a little bit more inclusive of marine excavation rather than just targeting dredging. So um, I think there's an opportunity there as well. And so I, I just wanna make sure that, you know, if if uh, people on the call have seen these questions, you know, um, I would uh, probably just recommend that, you know, it be a little bit more inclusive because there is other types of work out there uh, besides, um, uh, besides stretching. So uh, again, Sam, thank you. Um, hey, Devin, maybe uh, I'd like to go back to you. So um, sure. so what? what's some of your, could you talk a little bit about your projects and some of the uh, the, the risk or, or I hate to use the, the L word, the liability word that you incur, right, as a dredger? Because at the end of the day, you know, your 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 people are the ones who are most likely to come in contact with this with a facility and and also as we go through the conversation don't forget about you know there's a huge fiber build out right happening now throughout the US and these fiber lines um, I've already you know going through waterways uh, along with there's wind energy um, being offshore etc that's going through these waterways so um, you know much like we've seen on land those those uh, waterways, no matter where you are, are also becoming more challenging. But um, Devin, I'd like to go back to you and if sure. you can talk about some of the, the risk um, that you yeah. would like to see lessened in your business and why. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Ed. Uh, we face a, a, a clear danger every day when we're dredging and all of the risk is on our crews and for our crews um, without accurate pipeline marking. Um, Ed, you mentioned um, surveying and, and how we can improve that, but the current system is such that we have a project to do. Uh, they uh, say, here you go. Uh, a lot are one of us, our largest uh, customers is the Army Corps of Engineers. And they lay out and they mark these pipelines and these crossings. Now it's up to us on how close that we can get to these pipelines. And, and we're speaking about large pieces of equipment. Uh, dredges range from uh, cutters and, and buckets that are very small from maybe two to three feet to ones that are over six feet. And big machines like over 200 uh, or 300 feet long with uh, large uh, spuds and spuds for those uh, on the call who aren't aware, these are the anchors that hold us to the sea floor so we can uh, hydraulically dredge and mechanically dredge. We need to have uh, a firm hold on the sea floor so we can uh, pick up the material and then either place it into a barge or move the pipeline or move the uh, material via pipeline. But all of that risk is is on us. and and on each one of these incidents, dredgers have died because of it. And, and what we're trying to do, uh, not only, you know, Ed, uh, you and I have been, you know, 
hitting this hard uh, over the past several years at the CDMCS uh, pipeline task force. And, and it's it's trying to get awareness and, and also bring the core in because that's the key, right? When your customer is saying that you need to dredge from point A to point B, but we have some gas lines and we have some oil pipelines, how do we know where those exactly where those pipelines are? And, and, and let's include utilities. Now, you call 811, uh, uh, central call, uh, what, what happens? Well, sir, where's the closest intersection? You know, we, we've talked about this before. Uh, Ma'am, I'm not, uh, or sir, I'm, I'm not working in an intersection, I'm working on the water. Well, I need the closest intersection, so uh, how do we solve this? We have a standardization, right? We go national, we have each of these call 811 centers that have a marine specialty uh, person that's educated, that's aware of what we do. That's going to raise awareness on their end, and they say, wow, okay, I didn't realize that, I understand better now send them a set of the plans. So again, this is how we start the conversation and how we move forward on this. Um, you know, and and as far as marking, Ed, do you want me to go into like uh, how we do our surveys or what the tools are out there or we want to save that a little bit? Uh, I tell you what, why don't you save that a little bit? Okay. I'd, like, I'd like for uh, Paco to um, maybe respond, um, you know, so, so Paco, in most states, right? Um, before we kind of get to the tolerance zone issue, you know, Devin brought up that that notification or that call needs to be made. Um, in most states, that is, uh, you know, two to three business days. So isn't that, you know, uh, almost impossible to get some kind of marine boat and survey crew out and and you know so what's uh what's the challenges there yeah that you know you're 100 percent correct there it's you know two to three days you know if you're looking at um you know especially thinking about the gulf out here right where where we have some of our assets um you know you think about the weather out there you know especially when you get in a hurricane season you have those challenges um you know, and then, you know, making sure that, you know, there is, uh, you do get that information uh, before you go out there and mark it out, right? You know, potentially being able to meet with the dredger out, uh, you know, being able to schedule all that two to three days, you know, the, the you know, folks are going to be doing that work. They have their ongoing work that's going on, you know, like uh, Devin and, and his uh, and his team, right? So, two to three days is not realistic you know e even on land when you think about it two to three days sometimes it's a challenge because you know you may be driving you know two three hours to go and mark a pipeline uh and plus you got you know all your uh, uh all your other projects that are going on so um you know it's uh it, it's really you know standardizing uh, the the pre-planning is 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 really how we're able to do this and and you know looking at those one call tickets right or dredging tickets whatever you know we have and end up calling them in the future is making sure that those are submitted once uh both parties have all the information that they need you know as and we need to uh you know change that process so um yeah you know it's it's it, does one uh, uh, one call process fit all? Definitely not, you know, especially now when it comes to that water. And and, um, you know, that's why I'm glad that, you know, the collaboration that we have between all our groups is uh, at the end of the day, you know, we want everybody to go home safe. So let's get everybody on board and and um, make sure that that's our what our ultimate goal is at the end of the day. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I, I would just add that you know, hey, I think that everyone agrees that that safety of our lives and livelihood is number one, right? And then, you know, uh, close second is uh, the utilities uh, that that uh, power our community, you know, outages either from, you know, again, those electrical crossings, fiber lines that build out. And so, um, you know, there, there are definitely challenges. So, Paco, you raise a good point. Maybe it's just not uh, one, maybe it's just, maybe it's even bigger than just tolerance zones, right? 
And, you know, so maybe it's more of the whole process, you know, Devin brought it up, the challenges with trying to make a, trying to make a one call um, and, and then uh, trying to mark and then try to abide by those tolerance zone areas. Um, you know, this might be a, might be a controversial statement, but the way I appreciate it, and I know we have some one call experts on the line that I would definitely like to hear from, but I think in state laws that uh, different state laws, if you go out and mark a utility or facility, it has to be marked within 18 inches of the facility uh, by law. And if that's the case, that's almost impossible to do in a lake or a waterway, you know, much less the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so, uh, Sam, um, so in industry trends, you know, as far as safety and, and as it applies to some of this, what do you, you know, do you have some, some comments you can kind of help us out from, a, from, I know you work a lot with government and industry. And so what, uh, what are some perspectives on this that you can, you can further add? Yeah, great, great question. And, um, you know, one of the hats that I wear within API is working on our uh, annual performance report that gathers all the data um, around liquid transmission pipelines and publishes those. Uh, and and while we're seeing an, an overall trend of, of incident, total incidents going down, particularly incidents impacting people, the environment, those are the ones out in the right away that um, would have an impact on people or, or property damage or the environment. Those are going down as well, something in the order of 30% uh, over the last five years. Despite that that good message and the trend of total incidents going down, despite our build out of pipeline infrastructure, we're still seeing excavation incidents and we're still seeing excavation incidents as one of the leading causes of uh, fatalities, injuries, property damage. So while they they are high in number, they're also very high in consequence. They also lead to these very high consequence incidents, which can have a real impact both on people, employees, but also, as you mentioned, on service delivery. We're now in the, the kind of place after the passage of the infrastructure, um, I'm sorry, the Inflation Reduction Act, where we're going to see a lot more build out of low carbon energy infrastructure pipelines in the near future as well. Pipelines transporting carbon dioxide, hydrogen, um, for for CCUS, um, we talked a little bit about the wind offshore build out as well. We're going to see more and more pipelines being built, not not fewer and fewer. And so, it uh, it is in all of our best interest to make sure we're doing this in the safest way possible. Um, so, uh, you know, the trend overall is is going in the right direction. We're seeing incidents go down, but we want to make sure that those trends for excavation incidents continue to go down as well. Um, Paco mentioned a couple tools that we have, and, and uh, you know, I think a couple things in particular stand out to me. Um, one are those design and planning tickets and trying to make sure we can place a design planning ticket ahead of schedule. Um, that's that's not going to get us into the, you know, you have to respond and market in two to three days, but that just starts the conversation between a dredger and a pipeline operator. Uh, the second one um, is uh, awareness for pipeline operators of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers project database. Uh, that's one thing that we've we talked about in some of our meetings last week as a damage prevention group, but the Corps manages and maintains a list of all of their awards and proposals uh, by location and by scope so that so a pipeline operator can see, hey, I know that there's work that's going to be um, conducted in this area and here's the scope of it. And it may not tell me the exact uh, the winner of the bid, but I can at least figure out the timing, the scope and the location of some of that work so I can get ahead of this a little bit. I can start preempting these discussions a little bit instead of just waiting for the ticket to come in and then having to rush through that process. And then the second or the third one, I think, is the National Pipeline Mapping System. That's a free um, MPMS is a free system that's managed by FIMSA uh, and, it, and it is kind of twofold. There's a public viewer which provides uh, the location of pipelines um, it, fairly exact, but then there's also um, what they call PIMA, which is for um, excavators, public officials. You can sign on, create an account, and you can get the exact location of some of these pipelines, um, what they're carrying, what the pressure is, the commodities, so, so a dredger can start figuring out 
um, hey, I know I have some lines in this area. I need to be proactive too. Maybe I need to figure out who the operator is and start engaging them a little early on in the process. The operator then can say, I know that there's work being done in this region thanks to the, the Army Corps list. Um, I know that there's a design ticket placed by the, the dredger. I need to be proactive and start having this conversation early as well. Um, so I think you know, the, the, the trend's going in the right way, but we want to continue working. We, we realize that there's there's a whole lot more work to do on the excavation side. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Sam. Um, so I'm going to uh, make a few comments and then um, I'd like to go to the chat. And uh, uh, Karen, um, if you would help me with some uh, uh, the team with questions in the chat, I would appreciate it. Uh, the ones that, that I know you're monitoring that, that so so that way if we've answered some things that we're not redundant. But um, so I definitely want to open it up. But so um, I, I will say that um, you know there have been advances made in one call making one calls and and specifically as we get awareness out uh, about making an online ticket where you can actually draw in a, a tolerance zone versus a in-person call. Um, you know, uh, Devin may help alleviate that, but I think our industry, you know, needs to uh, do better at training the those type of stakeholders to use that online ticket process where they can draw in their work scope and maybe bypass, uh, you know, some way of that, you know, education gap with the um, people who you might get when you physically dial 811. So there might be some, you know, opportunities there. And uh, before I go to the chat, I, I would like to um, uh, uh, make note of an incident that I worked on. You know, it wasn't really an incident, but it was uh, took a lot of coordination in Iowa of all places, a landlocked state. Um, uh, somebody had uh, a dredger had, you know, been contracted uh, by a community to go in and deepen a lake in Iowa. Uh, so that way it would hold more water, um, that holding more water in those lakes in the dry season, they could irrigate fields, etc. And also had community that lives around the lake, right? So the, the dredger, you know, took apart the dredge, trucked up his excavation equipment, and this wasn't just a dredge, it was other type of, of excavation equipment that was on a barge, you know, regular excavate, you know, and I, I want to say also that, that normal online excavators are used in marine environments. Many times I see those for marine construction put on a barge and use that bucket to actually, you know, do shallow water type work, drive pilings, et cetera, for boat docks, ramps, other types of infrastructure. But back to this story, um, the dredger did his job, made a one call, uh, the utility uh, marked to the edge of the lake on each side and said, you know, dredger said, golly, I need more information than this, this, this lake is, is uh, you know almost a thousand feet wide. Um, I can't line up those marks, you know, and uh, and the the utility didn't have the ability to go mark the line. And you know, Dredger was saying, you know, I'm trying to adhere to the law, but at the end of the day, you know, if I can't get something marked, how can I excavate safely around it? So um, it, it it really became a little bit of a tug of war. Uh, I, I, I told him that in his uh, excavation site, that when he draws his polygon, that he only needs to include just the waterway, don't include the landmass. I said, because that way that's your documentation that you did make a mark with only within the waterway, but it was, it was not able to be marked um, into that area. You know, so um, uh, and and they finally, you know, worked with uh, the utility uh, was not a pipeline company, but finally worked with the utility and they gave them enough data. You know, hey, I know, it, it, you know, and I'll, I'll close with this again. I hate to be a little bit controversial here, but if you're going to put a utility through a waterway, then you've got to accept the fact that you're by law that you're going to have to figure out how to market. Right. 
um, if you're going to save money from going around the lake or going under a bridge, uh, you know, going over a bridge, whatever you do, um, it actually, you know, you've got to, to be able to plan in your uh, uh, line locating plans, which goes to tolerance zones. How am I going to met, uh, uh, help our friends like Devin out and accurately mark these systems? Okay, so uh, Karen, can I uh, uh, burden you a little bit to ask some questions from the chat? Absolutely. So, um, Devin, I think this would be best for you, but what is your recommendation when it comes to tolerant zones, inland or subaquatic with abandoned lines? Uh, yeah, that's a, a good question. Uh, that's something that you know, we didn't touch on was abandoned lines. Um, you know, the, the identification of the of the lines first off and which way is it running you know what what is exactly where where is that abandoned line and then from there um you know we, a lot of dredging companies have adopted a 50 foot uh, on either side of that pipeline uh tolerance zone and, and that seems to be the some some have more like a hundred um the problem is when you're doing a dredging project uh this now leaves a uh, what some call a slug or a, a a high spot in your dredging template. You know we're required to dredge to a certain lead. Let's just say it's 20 feet, and the pipeline is at you know 15. Well, that's a five foot uh, elevation change over that pipeline and then back down. And for navigation purposes, you want to be able to have consistent. So uh, that's that's that is the challenge. There's another comment that came in that was eye-opening for me, but it said to remember that dredgers and marine excavators are working in the rough seas and waterways. So you're bouncing around, um, which can change it by four. It says by four to five feet, you know, so the tolerant zone and just what you're looking at can can change just with the shift of the water. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we do work out in the elements, um, having been in, you know, many high seas in, in my lifetime, uh, you know, it's a large piece of equipment and the waves are big. So when you have that much movement, you know, you, even though that the, the technology and the hydraulics and everything have improved immensely from years ago, uh, there's still that risk factor that you could potentially uh, go deeper than what's required. Sure. I'm not sure, Paco, if you'd want to be the one to answer this one, but are land-based signage consistent state to state? And our locates typically stopped at high water. Are there different challenges getting pipeline placing documents per state? I don't know if that ties into your public awareness pieces. Oh, you're still on mute. Sorry about that. So uh, land-based signage, so that's that's standard across the board. Um, you know, when you look at the uh, the high, you know, what uh, specific verbiage needs to be on your adhesives or or your signage that you have for your facilities and your pipelines, right? So that's that, that is standard across the board. Um, and then let me see, what was the second part of that one? I think that was second and a third part, right? Yeah, um, are the locates look for that question? 1056, the comment came in from Tony. So are locates typically stopped at high water? And are there different challenges getting pipeline placing documents per state? So so the so locates as far as them being stopped at high water, no, you know, I mean we we try to, you know, mark in and as many ways as possible, right? You know, whether it be, you know, buoys or um, you know, you know, if it's a simple water crossing uh where we're able to have uh like cane poles or or, or something like that, right? We leave those there and you know we'll we'll specify, you know, if there's gonna be a crossing right of a vessel. It's like, hey, you know, we have these cane poles uh, and when we'll remove, you know, where we know it's uh, the deepest portion of the pipe and we'll say, please cross through this opening in this section right here. Right. You know, and that's where the communication comes into play. Um, and, and then uh, let's see here. The last portion was. What was the, the last one? The challenge is getting pipeline placing documents per state. So I think that goes to what we've talked about on the pipeline task force of when you're out in the water, what state are you actually working with and who would you talk to 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 get that information? Because even if you're not on a coast, um, when I was first at the pipeline task force meetings, I thought, OK, coastal states. And then it was, no, it's any river or lake. And I'm like, well, now it's everybody. 
it doesn't, you know, <laughs> landlocked states are still needing these marine tickets. And so that that was one of the pieces that was eye-opening for me. So I think that's what they're talking about is being out in the water and, and who do you go to? Yeah, you know that, I mean, that that's still a challenge, right? Um, and, and, and that's why we, you know, we've have a, we have a lot of work ahead of us, um, you know, through that pipeline task force group. And, um, you know, number one is, you know, getting that feedback from all of the stakeholders, you know, all the folks from doing the marine work, you know, all the folks have the utilities, they're crossing the waterways and, and whatnot. And then, you know, real important, you know, Sam's group there, um, and which is made also collaboratively of, of, of folks from our industry, right? Uh, really important, um, you know, paving, you know, the way of the future, you know, I mean, you think about it, you know, some of our children may be working on, you know, some of these dredging, uh, you know, vessels and and marking these pipelines, you know, we want to do the uh, the best that we could do to make sure that, you know, not only all our folks that are working these days out there safe, but, you know, for the folks that are coming in uh, in the future, making sure that, uh, you know, the technologies and, and the procedures and 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 those one call tickets, marine tickets are 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 standardized and and you know they fit you know the 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 size of the uh, the environment and the work that's to be done out there. We did have some more comments on marine tickets, and I will just ask that the audience holds tight. I think that's something that the pipeline task force we've broken into five different committees, and there are some things that we're working on as far as communications and training, and really pulling the different entities together to open up that conversation and keep that dialogue going. Um, another question we have is, how do you access the Army Corps of Engineers system for projects? That's one that I can take. Um, it, it's on the Army Corps uh, website. I, I can drop it in the chat or I can uh, send it to you, Karen. Uh, but that's one good method of kind of staying on top of, at, a, at a high level. Uh, and someone mentioned, you know, the the I want to say the inaccuracy, but the, the high level nature of MPMS. And I'll, I'll just second that. If you're getting ready to start a project, MPMS is probably too high level for you. You want something more exact. You want data that's that's a little bit more accurate. MPMS um, should just be that first level quick reference. You know, how do I start the conversation? How do I know who's in my my area? Um, so I can I can send that website to you. But I think just overall, I've gained a a new sense of appreciation and kind of a new um respect for for the dredging community not that i didn't have it previously but just understanding and acknowledging the the complexity that goes into this work that you're working in the ocean in rough seas in a murky underwater environment sometimes um, with utilities and lines that may have been accurate when they were mapped but that could have been several years or decades ago um, and so the 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 litany of moving parts that goes into some of these operations i think is, has taken me some time to really appreciate but i think it's it's something that unless you're working in it hands-on it you don't really understand how complex and complicated some of these things are um, so i just wanted to add that that nuance in there as well i would agree completely i think the pipeline task force and we'll be having our next meeting in tampa in february uh, but i would encourage everybody to come and, and to share your opinions there and in person because I didn't know what a spud was before these meetings and as they're looking for the mappings and trying to figure out what they are and as they're explaining it once they release it it's going down and so if the maps aren't accurate you know you you're gonna you're gonna learn um and unfortunately you're gonna learn with a, a negative result most likely so there have been some conversation in the chat not necessarily questions but working with sue subsurface uh, utility engineering groups and just the level of planning that should be going into the project pre-planning that damage prevention normally starts a week or two before they start and so i think that that's a good point that's been brought up is that if you work with the engineers you could have a much better laid out plan um, and communicate with all of the ent entities that would be involved um, and we have another one and this is just an opinion he says but i think the major the majority of facility damage is due to the setback from the pay zone is this an accurate version on past facility damages? So, so maybe I'll I'll take that, but you know, I also want to remind some folks that another thing that we have focused on uh, that's different from on land excavation and damage prevention activities is, and and I'm going to make a very general statement here, but usually, you know, the on land 
you know, excavation activities, et cetera, are kind of daylight hours, you know, dawn to dusk type things, um, normal work schedule. Um, you know, what you learn when you uh, start talking to these uh, marine construction stakeholders is their work, and Devin, correct me if I'm wrong, is basically 24-7, right? So that's so correct. They're, they're, they're working, you know, at night in inclement weather, et cetera. And uh, so then you ask yourself, okay, so are my pipeline or utility crossings are they visible at night? Are they visible in the fog? Are they visible in some of these other conditions that might otherwise be easily able to identify during the day, right? Under normal conditions. So, um, and, and another thing, and please somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when you read uh, into the regulations and best practices, you know, people see the do not anchor or dredge signs. That is actually optional. That is not required uh, the way I appreciate it. And please somebody call me out and say, Ed, you're full of it uh, mm -hmm. and, and let me know where that is. But I, I think that, that that is not specifically covered under a regulation. So Karen, we had, go ahead. We had a question come in that says, does the Army Corps use Sioux in planning and design phase like the FHWA? And unfortunately, I'm not familiar with the acronym FHWA. So um, if we have somebody from the Army Corps on that would like to speak to that, please raise your hand and I can have Levi unmute you. Um, otherwise, if one of our panelists are comfortable, you can take this one. So this is looking at if the Corps uses Sioux. And FW, FW, thank you, Federal Highway Administration. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Looks like that's really... not one that we can answer. I'm going to jot that one down um, and then work to get with somebody from the core. Devin, if you could help me with that, we sure, can yeah, get we that can, question answered. We, we, can, we can find the answer on that for sure. Okay. There's another comment that says plans are only available to the pipeline companies after they have been awarded. Therefore, if any pipeline modifications are needed, it delays the project schedules for all parties. How can we obtain plans sooner? And we've been told by the USACE that they can only obtain once they are awarded. Yeah, that's that, I can touch on that a little bit. That is one difficult point is that the the uh, database maintained by the Army Corps won't necessarily have the awardee, um, and that's just they, they they can't necessarily update it every time. That would be a lot of work, um, and they don't necessarily want to tip their hand to say these companies are getting the awards. Uh, that's I I think that's just a current limitation we have to work with, um, and certainly if um, you know if if and when the project is awarded. Uh, helping to close that feedback loops, then the operator now knows, okay, it's awarded to this party. I now can start that conversation with this dredger, but it, it's a current limitation, I think. Okay. Karen, any other? Um, I feel that I covered most that? everything in the chat. If you have entered something into the chat that you feel like I have not covered, if you would please raise your hand and I will look at the chat to find your comment. Um, we just had another one that said, I recommend this group reaches out to ASE UESI, which is the American Society of Civil Engineers and Utility Engineering and Survey Institute. Um, yes, we reached out to both uh, Phil Meese and Ken Kerr. We tried to have them attend the pipeline task force that took place in D.C. I believe it was in September. Um, schedules just didn't align. So that's something that I am looking forward to doing is to having those groups speak. I know that um, it's either ASE or UESI is working on some underwater mapping projects, and so they have quite a few things that align with what this group is looking to do. And I think by joining forces, um, we can maybe expedite some of the stuff that they have going on. And uh, Karen, allow me to elaborate on that a little bit and, uh, you know, ask uh, Devin if he wants to comment. But so the the. I often get, well, you know, isn't that captured, aren't pipelines and utilities captured on navigation charts? And the answer is yes, kind of. 
So, but the accuracy of what's on there um, is different because when, and, and different utilities, uh, pipeline, gas line, uh, electric line, cable, whatever it is, telecom, you know, if you're going to cross that waterway, you need some type of permit, right? And so when you go get that permit, um, that goes into the queue, but if a company decides uh, not to construct that, right, it might get caught up in the queue and you actually, you know, folks like Devin are trying to mitigate something that's not even there. Um, uh, or if it is in the queue and it does make its way from the core or the agency to NOAA that puts out the navigation charts and maps, um, uh, there's there I haven't got clear answers that they've actually used as built. So the accuracy and just using permit data is not an as built. So, you know, there are, uh, you know, uh, many challenges that that I would ask this group to empathize with the stakeholder groups and and also in your public awareness damage prevention programs. You know, if you're a company or utility operator in enhancing damage prevention, you know, ask yourselves in any of your education meetings, how many mariners have you invited? How many marine construction folks have you invited to attend these, right? And maybe that's a stakeholder group um, that that needs to be focused on a little bit more, again, in light of uh, uh, some recent accidents over the past few years. Karen, does anybody want to come off mute? May, sorry, Devin, I'll let you go. But does anybody want to come off mute and, uh, you know, uh, ask some uh, verbal questions? Uh, Devin, sorry, I interrupted you there. No, no, that's, that's fine. You know, we're dealing with uh, two separate problems here. Um, as and, and it's no one's fault. No one's placing blame on any agency. We're not pointing fingers at the core. We're not pointing fingers at, at the pipeline companies. We're trying to resolve the, the problem. And and I think I want to make sure that message comes clear uh, through clearly because, you know, these these problems were inherited from the 50s and 60s when these pipelines were first put across, and then a, you know, uh, 80 after dredge or or a survey after the pipeline was laid, it wasn't conducted. So you didn't actually know where or exactly how deep these pipelines were placed and utilities. Let's include utilities. In my career, I have hit four different, uh, whether it was utility, sewer or electrical and fiber optic ed at $1,000 a second in, in, in my career. Were we calling it Miss Utility and, and doing our due diligence? Absolutely. But these utilities were hit because of they, they were not at the proper depth and no one knew. So th this is really the challenge and at no fault to the core. I mean, as you know, as agency, but we're we're dealing with multiple government agencies and there's no clear. So it's really at the end of the day until there's going to be a, a set tolerance zone, Sam, you know, I mean, and that opinion comes out. It's on us to make sure that we're safe. I mean, the thousands of people uh, of crews that are out on the water right now and 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 have their lives and uh, at risk so that i mean that's really the point that we're trying to get across here okay did we have um anyone that wanted to come off mute and have a discussion before we wrap up i was gonna say there's an ed that speaks to what you were talking about but it um, the coal rigs, I believe I'm saying that correctly, require specific lighting at night and periods of restricted visibility. So please note this only applies to pipelines that are floating or supported by trussels. If these pipelines become hazards to navigation, they must be marked. So I think we have a lot of good information. I think that we have a lot of representation from the different segments, and I think it's great for all of us to be able to come together and have this one conversation where we can all get kind of on the same page about things. Yeah, and I want to make sure that uh, people understand, you know, how to, I know we, you know, it's real easy to talk about uh, causes, you know, the hard part is talk about solutions. And uh, I'd like to offer to everyone, you know, that there is a pipeline task force. It's a joint industry, uh, Devon 
and I co-chair that. Uh, Sam is a part of that. Um, Karen, you've been to the meetings. Paco's a part of this. And, uh, you know, reach out to um, uh, Karen, uh, reach out to Devin um, or myself. Uh, there is resources out there at both the CDMCS website and also on the CAMO website. We are updating best practices. We are also updating um, online training, right? So, uh, uh, so look for those, um, become more involved, uh, you know, uh, but, but, you know, we really, our pipeline task force, our next meeting is going to be in uh, February. And um, so Karen, I do want you to, uh, 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 let folks know about that and when it's going to be. And I will. And, it, and we do it, have a hand raised um, from yep, government yep. relations. So Levi, have you given them the ability to unmute themselves? I have. Yes. All right. So government relations, if you would like to unmute, you could ask your question. Hi, this is Brando Regal uh, with Nuka of Pennsylvania. Um, so um, I, I've been posting a lot of the Sioux recommendations on here, and I also, I, I lobby, uh, I've lobbied for 26 years for Nuka Pennsylvania, plus I have um, 12 years experience working at the Pennsylvania legislature. So I had suggested earlier that rather than mucking up the underground 811 laws that all the states have, I'm suggesting to the group that you consider a separate um, 811 law just for a Marine um, and, and keep it separate. And that way you can change your tolerance zones without affecting everything else and really confusing people um, by trying to put it all into one law. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, and, and yeah, definitely have been pushing Sue uh, since 20 some years ago. My president at the time walked in from a CGA meeting with the the Purdue study, and I, he told me, hang on to this, in about 20 years, we'll be ready for it. <laughs> so <laughs> since 2019, I started a big push for, for that, been working with Phil Meese and, and uh, Jim Onsbach and Nick Z Zambellis, um, all Sioux pioneers, and there's quite a few other ones out there as well. I don't want to um, you know, miss anybody, but those are the main ones that I've been focusing with. And in 2006, Pennsylvania put Sioux language in our law. Uh, we were the first in the nation to do that. And so we're really trying to push that nationwide that let's get this done in the planning and design phase. If you really want to make a huge impact, that's the way to do it. And then Phil Meese comes along with the mapping of that data for the future, which which um, Alvazar, I believe it is what you were talking about. Uh, you know, that we want to make sure that our children have that stuff for the future. So those are just when you're doing your pipeline task force. Um, you know, those are some of the things that I'm, I'm just suggesting to the group that you consider looking into. And there is the Sioux Association as well. I'm sure they would be very happy to send somebody in and talk to you about what the Sioux practitioners can offer to the the you know the dredgers and the pipeline i know um i had a presentation with i believe it's their acronym is sam um and they actually had a marine project that they did in philadelphia and had they not done that project they would have hit a major gas line so it can be done so thank you yeah, those yeah, I appreciate um, you yeah. sharing your thoughts. It looks it looks like we're at time right now. So if you'd like to stay on for a few minutes, we will have that short coffee and question session to keep the conversation going. I know that some comments have come into the chat um, in the past few minutes. So right now, if you would, please take a moment to fill out the brief survey that Levi is going to post in the chat so that we can continue to improve these discussions and address topics that are important to you. And on behalf of everyone at IR, I would like to thank you all for joining us. A recording of this town hall will be posted on excavationsafetyalliance.com, where you'll also be able to register for next month's town hall, which will be held January 12th, and is titled, How do you track the true cost of true total cost of a damage, not just the repair cost? Also, as we've mentioned a couple of times, please consider joining us in person in Tampa, February 
14th through the 16th for the Global Excavation Safety Conference, where we'll have additional discussions and a wide variety of educational opportunities. Two of our speakers from today will be presenting sessions. Our moderator, Ed, will be co-presenting a session titled Best Practices on Protecting Underwater Pipelines and Utilities. And Sam will be presenting a session covering the updated edition of RP1162 and what it means for operator public awareness programs. Both Ed and Devin have alluded to the meetings that they will be hosting of both a CAMO meeting, pipeline task force meeting, and a CDMCS meeting. And so I will include that information. Levi will send that out, um, but those will be taking place over the same dates, the February 14th through the 16th. So for first-time attendees, um, those meetings would not have a fee, but for first-time attendees, if you'd be looking to join us at the conference, you can be, take advantage of our 811 special, which is $811 for a full conference registration, which is more than 30% off of the current price. So you can do so by visiting globalexcavationsafetyconference.com. And we'll continue now for those who want to participate in the brief coffee and questions section. And so for the panel, I will look and see uh, the comments that I had missed. So, Jesse, it looks like you had shared your contact information. I'm not sure. Is there someone specific that you were looking to get in touch with? Levi, if we could have it so that Jesse Torres can unmute themselves if they're still on. I'd like to make sure that we Just handle that. Sure. Don't see them in the participant list. Okay. They must have jumped off. If anybody has any other comments that they would like to talk about, otherwise I would like to thank Ed, all of our panelists, and all of you for joining us. I really appreciate it. I think it was a great conversation. Like everyone has said, we still have a ways to go, but but this is the way to start moving us forward. So thank you everyone for your time. Yep. Thank you, Karen, uh, for helping host and Levi as well. So I appreciate it. So. Um, Thanks to everyone and uh, feel free, uh, just one more plug for our pipeline task force meeting in Tampa. Um, it, it, it costs nothing, uh, you know, feel free to join us and participate there. So um, if you need more information, just reach out to uh, uh, one of us, uh, one of the panel members here and we can get you more information. All right, Karen. Thank, thank you everyone. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you guys. All right, bye-bye.